Our culture is obsessed with looks. How many have figured that out? We're obsessed with the image-driven part of our life. Success, power, um, you know, looks, and, and the, the, the outward things. And as you read scripture, you realize how little stock God puts in the same things that most people think their life is about. Being, you know, the, the image part, the success, the power. God actually, in, in 1 Samuel, said that, that man looks at the, the outward things. Man is in awe of the outward appearance. But he looks at the heart. God cares about what's going on on the inside of us more than anything. A couple weeks ago, we started a, a series on leadership. And the fact is, is every person in this room is a leader because you have influence on somebody's life. So whether you're a, a parent, you're a boss, you're a grandparent, you're a coach, you're a teacher, a coworker, you are influencing somebody with your life. And that makes you a leader. And the, the, the first week, we talked about that leadership starts with understanding our inadequacy. That we all have weaknesses. And that God, when we surrender our lives to him, he can take that inadequacy and glorify himself and give us power that we didn't know existed to, to live and to lead. And last week we talked about the fact that leadership is influence. It is the ability to influence somebody. Today we're going to talk about the subject of integrity. Leadership is integrity. I want to read to you from Psalm 15. It's just five verses of scripture. It says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless. Circle that word on your notes there. The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord. Who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. Who lends money to the poor without interest. Who does not accept a bride, bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. I had you circle the word blameless. That's your first fill in on your notes. The word blameless does not mean sinless. That's important that we understand that from, from the get-go. Blameless does not mean sinless. The Hebrew word that's, that's used there, is, it means something all, not, not altogether different, but it doesn't mean sinless. If, if you and I have to be sinless to be leaders, if you and I have to be sinless to walk in integrity, we're all in trouble, right? Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So it doesn't mean sinless. What it means is it means to be complete. It means to be whole. It means to be honest. It means to be a person of integrity. That, that, that's in the definition of that word. And it's so important as you're talking about integrity and we're talking about leadership, we're talking about influence, that we distinguish this from perfection. Because there's always two, two twin uh, things in our lives that are trying to rob us from the kind of life that God wants us to live. One of them is legalism, self-righteousness, that I'm working my way to God, that if I'm a good boy, a good girl, then I'm somehow earning God's favor and forgiveness. That's not true. The other one, though, is complacency, which is the opposite of legalism. Eh, I'm good. It doesn't really matter. Neither one of those are true. 
God wants us to walk in, in, a, in a balance of that. And so, even, so as you hear me say over and over that it's not about being sinless, that, do, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to pursue it with our whole heart. That he doesn't, that, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday. That in, in the blameless one, Jesus, he was blameless. He took the blame for us when he died on the cross. He took our blame so that we could be blameless. The blameless one took our blame so that we could be blameless as he sees us. And now we're free to pursue a life of integrity. A life that's filled with him. So it's important that we start with the gospel First and foremost, when we're talking about character, when we're talking about God transforming us, no one in this room can work their way to God. We needed the blameless one to take our blame for us. So we can't be sinless, but we can sin less. It's kind of important. We can't, none of us are going to be sinless, but we can sin less. And that's what God wants us to do in our character. As we surrender to his will, as we surrender to follow Jesus, change is going to be inevitable. You will more and more become a person of influence and integrity as you surrender to Jesus. So why is integrity so important? A couple thoughts on this. First of all, integrity pleases God. It pleases God. When we walk in integrity, he is the definition of integrity. God is perfect. He's holy. He's just. He's, he's loving. He's merciful. He's, he's perfect in who he is, perfectly complete and whole. It says in Proverbs eleven twenty, The Lord detests people with crooked hearts, but he delights in those with integrity. Pretty clear. What I was thinking about this was when you and I live for God's approval, we will become people of integrity. When you live for God's approval more than people, it's a game changer in your life on how you'll live. We will lack integrity when we care more about what people think of us than what, we're, what God thinks of us. When we care more about pleasing people than pleasing God. If you become a God pleaser, you will walk with integrity. And the fact is, as, as you walk with integrity, you're not going to make everybody around you happy. You're going to end up frustrating somebody or whatever in your life. But what matters most is God's approval. Seek his approval more than Somebody else's. And I was thinking about this. Integrity pleasing God. You may have a situation in your life where somebody's not looking. Somebody's not seeing that attitude or that behavior or action or whatever you're doing. But God always sees. He always sees. He's all-knowing and he's ever-present. So we're not ever fooling God. It's important that we understand that. Integrity also affects others. You can write that down. It affects others. This is why it's important. Our integrity, first of all, affects our homes. It's going to affect those you live with, live with your family. It's going to affect your kids. It's going to affect each other, siblings. It says in Proverbs 27, it says, The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are, are their children who follow them. Kids are going to learn. Your kids, if you're a parent today or a grandparent, your kids are going to learn from you. Or they're going to learn from somebody else. They're going to, because we're going to learn. We were, people are created to learn how to live to some, to, by somebody. Somebody is influencing our lives. Parents, 
that's your number one job, is to train your children to have a God-centered worldview, a God-centered approach to life, a gospel-centered approach to life. Kids are never too young to learn the gospel. Because sometimes people end up thinking that the gospel is about behavior modification. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that we in ourselves cannot be right with God outside of a relationship with Jesus. So use every opportunity you have to train your kids to have a God-centered worldview. That they were created by God and for God. That, that they're not the center of the universe. That he is the center of the universe. And the gospel in their lives. And then in our community. Integrity is important because it affects our community. Look what it says here in uh, Proverbs 11, 11. It says, upright citizens are good for a city and make it prosper. But the talk of the wicked tears it apart. We have the ability in walking in integrity, in our leadership, to influence the community for good. Obviously, people can influence it for bad as well. I was reading in in Forbes magazine recently, and there's a a new thing. When somebody is going to hire somebody, an employer is going to hire an employee, a lot of the big companies now, they give somebody an IQ test, which is your intelligence quotient. They give you a test on your, your emotional intelligence, your people skills. But go figure this. Now there's a test that they're giving people on, they call it your MQ, your moral quotient. Do you keep your word? Are you a person of integrity? Like uh, They just figured that out that that might actually be important to have somebody keep their word. Because what happens when somebody doesn't keep their word, they tear a company down. They, they tear a business down. They tear a community down. And so for us... That's, that's nothing new from, from a scriptural point of view, a biblical understanding of life, that that's important for us. And then lastly, integrity is important. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, it affects our influence for Christ. Look how straightforward Peter writes when he says, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. That's pretty straightforward. Have you ever known this? Most people make judgments about Jesus in Christianity based upon his followers. So they they make a judgment on whether Jesus is real by his followers. As a matter of fact, Gandhi, the famous Hindu you know, leader, he actually read the Gospels and was pretty fascinated with what he read about the person of Jesus and the things that Jesus said and did. And he went and he hung out in a Christian community and he came away with this statement where he said, I like your Christ, but I just don't like your Christians because they don't do what he says to do. Oh man, let that not be said of us. Because it's, that's people's number one turnoff of, of Christianity is what? Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites, right? Well, there's room for more hypocrites, right? We all know that. But people, we have to be striving to be people of integrity, people who keep our word because we say we follow Jesus, but do our lives match up to that? That's important. And listen, as I talk this morning... All the fingers are pointing back at me, not at you. I'm looking at my own life and saying, Scott, are you a person of integrity? Am I applying the word of God? 
So you have my, my word this morning that that's, I'm not talking down to anybody in this room like I've arrived, because I haven't. But let's together strive to be the best leaders that we can, the best community of, of integrity, filled followers of Jesus. So how do we do this? How are we going to walk and lead with integrity? Write this down. Live an integrated life. Live an integrated life. The word integrated, by definition, is this. It's combining or coordinating separate elements so as to provide a harmonious, interrelated whole. What's a layman's term for that? Would be, man, all the parts of my life come together. That it's, it's, I don't compartmentalize my Christianity for Sundays, but my walk with Jesus, following Jesus, affects every area of my life. At home, at work, in church, in the community, every area of my life is under his submission, under the lordship of Jesus. And it's, it's a combined integration of that together. That's a lot of people's problems in their walk is when you... You compartmentalize your walk with Jesus as just part of your life rather than letting it be the whole of your life. That's the biggest challenge I want you to walk away with this morning is that wholeness of my life in following Jesus. If I'm a follower of Jesus, it affects every area of my life. I want to show you a clip. I showed last week a scene from We Were Soldiers, which was a true story about the Vietnam War. And Mel Gibson plays a, uh, an officer in the army named Hal Morris. True, true story. And I love the movie because he was such a good leader. He, he lived so many Christ-like you know, character in this. In the scene that I want to show you this morning, he is talking to one of his young soldiers whose wife just had a baby. And they're like in the, the little chapel at the hospital, and so they're hanging out together, and he's encouraging him. Catch how he talks about living an integrated life. He said, how, how, how to be in a good at a soul, you know, how can being a soldier help me be a better father, vice versa? And he said, I hope being good at one makes me good at the other. That's integration. I hope being a, a good father makes me a better you know, person, you know, a follower of Christ makes me a better father, makes me a better person at church, at the community, and in life, that it's integrated together. Integration, write this down, means that I'm the same person at home, at work, at church, and in my community. I'm the same person at home, at work, at church, and in the community. And listen, what I mean by that is this. If I'm not going to be a loudmouth, rude person at church, then I'm not going to be that at my kid's game. Now I'm meddling a little bit, right? I'm not going to be that person when I'm ordering dinner at a restaurant. I'm going to be kind to the waitress or the waiter. That I don't th- I'm not going to be one thing at church and think I can be something else at home or in the community or where I live. It doesn't work like that. Following Jesus affects the whole of each one of our lives. How, how we live at home, work, church, and in the community. Um, the Apostle Paul, this isn't on your notes, but in Galatians chapter 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul rebukes the Apostle Peter. It's in Scripture. It's in the Bible. He rebukes Peter for being a hypocrite. If you remember the story, Peter was 
now that the gospel had gone to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, he was willing to eat with them. And so he would, he would eat what the Gentiles ate and hang out and didn't do all the ceremonial washings and so on and so forth. But as soon as some of the fellow Jewish believers came around, he uh, started shunning them and started eating you know, differently and acted, started trying to be a good Jewish person again instead of a Christ follower. And Peter I mean, Paul openly rebukes him and says, dude, you're being a hypocrite, man. You've got to be the same person with all people. Don't, don't try to be one thing for, for one set of people and one for the other. I love the, the honesty of Scripture. Again, that's the number one complaint of non-Christians is that all Christians are hypocrites. They, don't, they lack integrity. Integration also means that I do the right thing for the right reason. I do the right thing for the right reason. And then integration means that our walks, our works, and our words line up. I do the right thing for the right reason, and it means that our walks, our works, and our words line up. That's what Psalm 15 really ultimately is all about. That our lives jive together. That who, who we say we follow and what we say and what we do, they line up together. So live an integrated life. And then the second thing I would tell you is this. Pursue integrity in every area of life. This is how you integrate your life together. And, and the first, there, there, there's different types of integrity. The first one is the most important one, and that's spiritual integrity. Write that down. Spiritual integrity. If you're going to have integrity in, any, in the rest of the areas of your life, it starts with spiritual integrity. It start, integrity starts with how I see God, how I relate to God. That determines how I'm going to live every area of my life. Not just on Sunday or in a crisis, but that I'm going to put God first. I'm going to walk with him first and foremost, seek him about everything in my life. Scripture calls that living in the fear of the Lord. Living in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. To fear the Lord, there is an element of being like, in awe of God, you know, in a sense, afraid. But it's, it's not the same as I'm afraid that when you're a follower of, of Jesus, the fear of the Lord is an awe of how magnificent he is. I mean, we should all fear the Lord and who he is and his power and his glory. But there's a, 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 a relating to him in a sense of awe as a, as a perfect father that when he says to do something or not to do something, I follow him because I really believe that he knows what's best for my life. I really believe he has my best interest at heart. That's walking in the fear of the Lord. So when he says don't do something and you don't do it, you're honoring him by saying, God, I fear you. I want to please you. I want your approval. I believe you know what's best for me. So when you and I have spiritual integrity, it's going to lead to integrity in every area of, of our lives. Spiritual, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, 8. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. To be pure in heart means to be authentic. It means to be sincere. It means to have unmixed motivations, to have a loyalty to God. So spiritual integrity leads to integrity in all areas of our lives. If you're not walking in the fear of the Lord, if you're not walking to, to please God, then you're probably not going to walk in integrity in the other areas of your life. That's just 
the way it goes. But spiritual integrity then leads to relational integrity. That's the second thing I want you to write down there. Our relationship vertically always determines our relationships horizontally. My relationship with God, when that is right in first place in my life, it's going to affect every relationship in my life. All great relationships are built on integrity. It's all built on integrity. And I think, how do you have relational integrity? Well, Jesus said it best when he said this. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Is that rocket science? I mean, it's the golden rule, right? That if you will do to people, if you'll love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to have relational integrity. You want to be a good leader? You want to be a good husband? You want to be a good father? You want to be a good wife, a good mom, a good person, a good coach, a good teacher? Treat people the way you would want to be treated, and you will be a good leader. I was thinking about this. How do we do that? Because we all blow it. Anyone in here never blown it relationally? I'd like to talk to you after service. How do we do this? If we, if we, if we all are going to blow it and, have, and, and fail in relationships, we're going to fail to treat people as we would want to be treated. Two things came to mind. The first thing is this. You want to have relational integrity then you need to learn to be good at apologizing. You need to learn to, to, to not just say, oops, sorry, my bad. Sorry, my bad is really not the, the kind of apology that, that treats people the way you would want to be treated. When you blow it and you don't treat people right, here, here's what you need to say is, hey, would you forgive me? I blew it there, and I'm sorry. And I, I feel sorry for what I did, and I apologize. Would you forgive me? That's the proper way of apologizing. And there should be an asking for forgiveness to that person. Because then there's a responsibility put back on the person to forgive you. Be good at apologizing. Be, be really good at forgiving. For some of us in this room, forgiveness doesn't come easy. And I don't know why, if it's temperament, if it's experience, if it's whatever. But I don't see anybody getting out of forgiving people. Scripture says, forgive as Christ forgave you. Paul said, make allowance for one another's faults. In Colossians, forgive. So if you want to have relational integrity, be good at apologizing and be quick to forgive. Don't hold grudges. Jesus forgave you. And when you blow it with somebody, don't you want to be forgiven? You want to, to, to be released? Then give that same forgiveness to the people that wrong you. Very, very, very important. Then relational integrity is going to lead to verbal integrity. What comes out of our mouth. David, in the Psalms, took this so serious. He said, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Some of us need to pray this three or four times a day. Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. I'm not making eye contact with anybody, but... You know what an arsonist does? They light fires on purpose to, you know, I read a story. This is, this is bad church unity here. Bad, this would be bad leadership. I read a story where a pastor in like 1996, their church was having a split. And so he lit the building on fire so that they could rally around not having a building to try to have church unity. He, he became an arsonist. Bad idea. Um, but 
you know, you know the old, the old, and I'm got a point to this. The the old saying, "Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me." Uh, not true. That's so not Bible, right there. The Bible says over and over that we that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Our words do hurt, and we have the ability to to hurt people and and to ruin relationships. James says that the tongue is like a spark. Boom. That sets a whole forest on fire by the things that we say. Our tongues can be arsonists that destroy relationships, destroy people, destroy communities and churches and so on and so forth. So we need to watch what comes out of our mouth. We have verbal integrity. Don't lie. Don't, don't lie. I mean, sometimes some people think it's just okay to lie if I'm going to benefit from it or I don't want to face the consequences of, of something. Don't do that. Trust God. Obey God at all, in all areas of life and leave the consequences up to him. Don't stretch the truth. I mean, you know, it's easy to say, you know, the, the fish that I caught was, uh, I was actually, it was, whoa, after you say it a few times, it went from this cute little trout to this monster thing that you caught. And it's, we stretch the truth. Ask God to, to check your life. Where do I stretch the truth? We stretch the truth because we want to appear better to people. We want our circumstances or ourselves to be in better light. I have to confess something to you. When I was in the 10th grade, this is pre-Jesus, but when I was in 10th grade playing football on our 10th grade team, I, I wasn't very good. I loved football, but I was a too, too small to be a lineman, too slow to be a skill player. So they put me on the kickoff team. That's what you do when you're a sub, right? And so I was on the kickoff team, and we were playing our arch rivals, crosstown rivals. And we kicked off to, to start the game and went down, and I ran into somebody like you do on the kickoff. And whoever made the tackle caused a fumble, and we recovered the fumble. Thought, hey, this is going to be great. What a great way to start the game. Well, we didn't score. And we ended up losing the game seven to nothing. So... If you know anything about football, you only kick off at the beginning of the game or the beginning of the half and when you score. So we didn't score. So I played one play. In the locker room, after the game, the coach came in. He was trying to encourage everybody. And he said, hey, Applegate, uh, heard you made that caused that fumble. I wasn't near the tackle. And I said, thank you. Uh, yeah, I did my very best, coach. Uh, maybe this will get me some more. <laughs> you know, I wanted some more playing time. So I said, thank you. Well, you know, time went on, and I began to, like, you know how you sit around, and the old Bruce Springsteen song talked about the glory days. You'd talk about how good you were, and it'd get bigger and bigger, and you were better and better. And I would actually, we'd talk about, yeah, remember when we were playing that team, and, and I, I made the tackle and caused the fumble, and, and I would say it over and over and over until finally, when I was a Christian, I became a Christian, I somehow was in this conversation and able to to say yeah remember that time I and the Lord was like you didn't do it you didn't tackle anybody so I had to have integrity and say wait that that never happened so I'm having integrity with you this morning I didn't make a tackle for diddly on that day I, I stunk at football but Today I can say that honestly because you got it. Don't stretch the truth in your life. That's not verbal integrity. Don't gossip about people. Don't talk about people behind their back. If there's even a twinge inside of you to not say something, you know, pray about it before you talk about it. Keep your promises. 
Dads, this is hard, right? But you said, Dad, but you said, but Dad, but you said. Well, you know, do your best to keep your promises. And then verbal integrity leads to financial integrity. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Martin Luther, the great church reformer, he said there needs to be two conversions that happen. First is the one of the heart. The second one is the pocketbook. (laughs) That really, what Jesus is saying here, how we view and spend money is a direct window into our hearts. How we view and spend money is a direct window into our lives. It's important that we understand that. Are we being faithful with the little that he's given us? Faithful in the small things. Um, big things always start with small things. Can you be faithful with a small amount? He'll give you more. I mean, I would encourage everybody in here as a follower of Jesus to have financial integrity. Pay your bills. Pay them on time. I get it. Times are tight for some, some folks. Figure something out on a way in your life how you, can, how you can have integrity with your finances, how you can trim something here so that you can pay a bill and that you don't feel like you're, you're behind all the time. Pay your taxes. Jesus said, render Caesar what is Caesar's. We're not exempt from paying taxes. Don't spend more than you make. That's a big problem in our society with credit. We spend more than we make. We need to learn how to... Spend the money that we have rather than money that we don't have. Be generous. Let God have control of your finances. This has hit me before. How can I ask God to bless my finances if he's not in control of them? And so it starts with, God, whatever I have is yours. And I want to be a person of integrity with what is yours. You need to not see your money, your stuff as yours, but it's, it's his. And what does he want you to do with it? There is on your notes, and I believe up on the screen, uh, Steve Craig, one of our leaders in our church, sent me this version is a Bible app. And they have little different devotionals and Bible studies. And you can follow this 10 commandments, 10 day devotional about what the Bible says about money and how to have financial integrity. I believe it's on your notes there. And you can download that version app and read it. I would encourage you to do that if you know, this is an area of life you want to grow. And then lastly, vocational integrity. That's a big word for work. We need to have integrity on, on the job. It says in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Work hard and cheerfully at all you do, just as though you were working for the Lord and not merely for your masters, remembering that it is the Lord Christ who is going to pay you, giving you your full portion of all he owns. He is the one you are really working for. Is my employer getting my very best? If the the answer inside your heart is no, then Jesus isn't getting your very best. Game changer, again. Spiritual integrity trumps all other integrity. When I walk in in the fear of the Lord and God, I want to please you, you will walk in integrity in these other areas of your life. How hard do I work when the boss isn't looking? That's uh, an important thing for us to outwork everybody else that, that, that we work with. You're bringing glory to Jesus. Sometimes people say, well... Somebody's cutting corners at work, or they're taking things, or they're doing this, or they're doing that. Say, everybody else is doing it. 
here's my encouragement to you. Not everybody else is following Jesus. You are. So you're setting the tone of what work looks like for a follower of Jesus in everything that you do. Last point I want to give you is this. Integrity not only, you know, affects, pleases God, affects others, but it actually brings a blessing in your life. So I would tell you this, if you're going to walk in integrity, remind yourself daily of the blessings of living a life of integrity. Remind yourself every day of, that you will be blessed when you live a life of integrity. The confession of bad works is the beginning of good works. When you stop and say, you know what, I have not been walking in integrity in every area of my life. When you say that, God, to God, and you, and you verbalize it, then you're going to begin, that's the beginning where God can begin to work deeper in your heart and in your life. A couple things about this. It will cause me to walk in God confidence. There's a, there's a confidence and then there's a God confidence. When you have a confidence before God, Psalm 15, 5 said that, that when we do these things, we won't be shaken. Another passage says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Think about this. The root of insecurity is often a lack of integrity. We're often insecure about things, looking over our shoulder, eh, because we haven't been walking in integrity in these areas of our life. There's power in a clean conscience. When our conscience is first cleansed by the good news of Jesus... And what he did for us, the blameless one who took the blame for us so that we could be blameless. There's power in that. And then we're free to pursue a life of integrity. We're free to pursue that. Our sin breaks fellowship with God. He doesn't go anywhere. It's us who kind of hide from God when we know we're not living the way that what's best for us and how he's told us to live. Obedience to God doesn't earn his favor, but it does cause joy and peace on the inside of us. It does cause us to live the kind of life that he wants us to live. Second thing is this, it will cause me to leave a lasting legacy. All of us in here want our lives to count. Psalm 112, 1 through 6 is all about leaving a legacy. It talks about blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses and their righteousness endures forever. Legacy. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Here's my challenge for you. Don't let the failures of yesterday stop you from becoming who and what you can be in Christ today. Don't let the failures of yesterday, in a message like this, when you're talking about character and sanctification and integrity, it's so easy for the devil to go, Shh, he's following you around. <laughs> How did Scott know what, what, what I did yesterday? I don't. I know my own issues. I know my own lack of integrity in my life. Don't let the enemy fool you into you. You, you got too much, too much junk in the trunk, right? So you can't become the person that God wants you to be. Listen, give him your baggage. Give him the past so that you can become the person that he wants you to be. That's the gospel. That's the good news. He gives you a fresh start where you're at. Doesn't mean there's not consequences. But there will be a future legacy that you can leave behind and put that in the past. And then lastly, God promises to reward 
our integrity in eternity. In the parable of the talents, wonderful, his master said. You're a good and faithful servant. I left you in charge of only a little, but now I will put you in charge of much more. Come and share in my happiness. You know, there's going to be a judgment one day for all that are outside of Christ. Because if you're in Christ, Christ was judged in your place. You don't have to, you don't have to fear that judgment. But there is going to be a judgment, but it's more like a reward, uh, a, a awards ceremony, where the, how we lived our lives, the life of integrity that we did, God has promised to reward us for that. And it's important that you and I remember that eternity is reality. Life is just a test for eternity. Rewards are noble because God offers them and promises them. Today's the day to get serious about your life. And your legacy, leading with integrity, being an influence on those around you. Here's how I want to close. One simple thought for you. What is the test or temptation right now in your life? The test or temptation in your life that's challenging your integrity. Every person in this room is being tempted. Your integrity is being challenged by a temptation to be unfaithful in one way or the other. You're being tempted to be unfaithful in a relationship. Whether it's in your eyes or actually acting it out. In your mind or in your heart. Some way you're being tempted to be unfaithful. Or you're being tempted at work to shortcut. Or you're being tempted in some area financially. Whatever it is, it's being challenged. Or you're going through a test that's ultimately testing your faith and your integrity. Here's my, my thought for you. Say no to the temptation and say yes to God's best for you. Say yes to integrity. God, this hurts when I walk integrity sometimes, but I know the blessing that ultimately is going to be, be because I walked in your power and I walked in your grace and I walked in your strength. We stand to your feet and let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for all of our sins. The blameless one took my blame so that I could be blameless. If you've never put your hope and faith in that, today's the day to say, Lord, I'm guilty of sin. I believe that you died on a cross for that and you rose from the dead to give me new life and I put my faith and hope in that today. Pray that. Say that to God. Let him work in your life. God, as followers of you today, we want to be people of integrity that bring honor and glory to your name. Help us to say no to those temptations and yes to a better life in you. In Jesus' name.